Good morning, church. It's nice to see you. My name is Adam. I am the vicar here. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you this morning as we continue our sermon series, Come As You Are. Today's big idea is this. And please don't freak out and run. I've been told this is an antisocial big idea because uh, it involves, involves a word with more than three syllables. Um, what act of iconoclasm is required for your friends to meet Jesus? Now, if you don't understand any of those words yet, I'm not going to say which ones. I don't wish to judge, but hopefully you will by the end. But the big idea today is what act of iconoclasm is required for your friends to meet Jesus? That's what I want to think, us to think about this morning. If you're here for the first time today, then welcome. Um, I hope it's not been nearly as scary as you thought it would be. Um, and I hope more and more than that that you meet with Jesus today. Because meeting with Jesus, spending time with him, knowing that he's died for your sins and that you have been forgiven, repenting and turning to him and living each day to follow him and to be filled with his spirit. That is life-changing. And it just starts with meeting Jesus. When someone first told me that being a Christian wasn't about going to church on a Sunday or even being good, music to my ears, but it was about having a relationship with God and choosing to follow him afresh every day, it changed my life. Knowing his love, knowing joy, knowing peace, knowing kindness, transformed me and who I was. And it continues to transform me, thank God, especially my wife thanks God, to this very day. It's been transforming me for the last 20 years, and I want to continue to be transformed by him. The man we heard in our reading today, he had his life transformed by an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus, and in this church, we believe that you can still have an encounter with Jesus today. We know it because it has happened to us and continues to happen to us. We know that we can encounter him and he, can, he continues to transform us. So if you're here for the first time today, welcome. I hope you choose to come back and see us another time. But just sit back and relax. The vicar's about to go off on one. Because if you're not here for the first time, you will probably know that we're in a sermon series looking at, the, at until Advent, at, the, at what I've called Come As You Are, where we look at people's encounters with Jesus in the Bible, and we look at how he responded to them and how they reacted to him. We think about the way they were when they came to him, with their doubts, with their hopes, with their faith, with their unbelief, with their good things, and with their sin. And we see the loving reaction of Jesus. 
We see the transformation that he, he, the meeting him had on their lives. And we see them going away changed. And if you are a regular here at St. Paul's, if this is your home, then I wonder if you've ever invited somebody to something at church. Because I want you to ask the question today, what act of iconoclasm is required for your friends to meet Jesus? Now, one of the words you might not understand in that sentence is iconoclasm. Some of you will, some of you won't. I learned this word um, 25 years ago when I was studying engineering. The word originates from some very grumpy people smashing up some pictures in churches. That iconoclasm to break icons. But what it's come to mean today is the action of assertively rejecting established values and practices. The action of assertively rejecting established values and practices. Have you ever invited someone to church, to Alpha, or an evangelistic event? hoping that they would meet Jesus. How did it go? Was it a success? Was it less of a success? Is there anything that could have made it easier? Why don't you talk to someone nearby and answer some of those questions? If, like me, you're a raging introvert, just ask the extrovert among you what they think, and they will talk for the next five minutes. It's fine. Whoever sat next to Labib is fine. Um, sorry, Labib. Have you ever invited someone to church, to Alpha or evangelistic event? How did it go? Was it good? Was it not? What would have made it easier? Have a moment to chat to someone near you. And do introduce yourself. If you don't know their name, then just tell them your name. And please don't turn around to someone and say, I already know your name. Just tell them your name too. If I could encourage you to draw your conversations to a close. So nice to hear you all chatting. I apologize to whoever got stuck with me. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have time to hear from everybody, but if you've got something you want to share with me or the rest of the staff team and you think we need to hear about it, we'd love to, to hear. Do drop us an email or uh, call us up during the week. Um, Just use your kind voices when you do it. That would be fantastic. Um, To be iconoclastic, the action of assertively rejecting established values and practices. In today's Bible passage, we meet a man and his friends. We're not told how many, but apparently there are at least four carrying him on a mat, one at each corner. And when we meet him, there are at least two acts of what I would like to call this morning iconoclasm. Let's take a look at the story in a bit more detail. Jesus had been on a preaching tour around Galilee to the local villages. He'd healed people, he'd cast out demons, he'd, and he'd returned home to Capernaum. It's interesting, I hadn't considered this before I studied the, the commentaries for today, but it's possible that this is actually Jesus' house that we find him in. 
And the crowds have gathered around. They've heard what he's been doing. They've heard what he's been saying. They've heard that he's been healing and saving people. And they want to hear. Is this the guy who lives in number 24? He, he fixed my roof. More about that later. They gather around the house to hear what he has to say. And the word has got about about his healing. And this man is brought by his friends. And they want to get to Jesus. They know that he can help. They've heard that he's helped others. And they know that he can help their friend. But they can't get through because the crowds are so deep. So closely packed that there's not any space even up to the door. So what would you do? There's someone, my wife likes to sell things on Facebook. Anyone else sell stuff on Facebook? Right, Stephen, if you and I could have a kind of support session later, that'd be fantastic. Um, Somebody came to buy a bike helmet from us yesterday. My my suggestion is never buy a second-hand bike helmet. They're safety items. They should be bought new. But anyway, somebody wanted to buy this off us. Uh, for, for £5. They text my wife, tell them they're coming. Great, great. We get on with our day. We've got a few children. We're putting them to bed. We're a bit distracted. Half an hour later, Jen says, oh, they've, they've not come. She looks at her phone and it says, she got a message half an hour ago say, I'm stood outside the door. She texts back and goes, did you ring the doorbell? N- no, no. Stood outside the door for 10 minutes and went away. Not really the normal thing, is it? If you get somewhere and you can't get in, you ring the doorbell, you knock, you call, you get... Also, and this is the point at which normally the preacher goes, and it's very normal in first century Palestine to rip through the roof. It was not perfectly normal in first century Palestine to rip through the roof. It shows you the desire that these people had that their friend would meet Jesus. That instead of waiting orderly in a queue, yes, I know they didn't do that in first century Palestine, or coming back later when there's not so many people there, or shouting, or calling, or arguing, they get up onto the roof. And it says in our translations, they dig through, but the original Greek was more of a, they tore it up in order to make a hole to lower him down and to get him right where he needed to be. Right next to Jesus. Our first act of iconoclasm. They broke with social conventions. They broke with building regulations. But they so wanted their friend to meet Jesus They did whatever was necessary. I wonder what we would do this morning. It's unlikely, I have to say, that crowds would stop anyone coming into our building, though it's lovely to see you all today. But if there were, and somebody decided that in order to get in, because they needed to hear Adam preach this sermon this morning. I know, also unlikely. They broke through one of the stained glass windows. 
What if they left the doors open so we got cold? How would we feel? What if they came in right now and walked right up to Carolyn, ignored the fact that I was talking to you, and just said, Carolyn, I've heard about Jesus, and I want you to tell me about him now. But you sit down and be quiet, please. I'm telling everybody what I think they need to know about Jesus. What act of iconoclasm is required for our friends to meet with Jesus? Because Jesus, possibly having had his own roof torn apart, I know he's a carpenter, he can fix it, etc., etc., etc. But instead of turning to these people and saying, what have you done? He saw their faith. I think that's interesting. Because often in the Gospels, we hear that Jesus sees a person's faith and that he heals, saves, sets free that person. But on this occasion, we're told by Mark that Jesus saw their faith. It may have included the man, it may not. He may have been passive in all of this. But it certainly included those friends who did everything they could to bring their friend to meet Jesus. And because of their faith, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. No? That was the second act of iconoclasm, people. Did, Did we not see that one coming? All the more subtle to our ears. Yes, if someone tore up our roof, broke our stained glass windows, interrupted the vicar's sermon, we would be outraged. But what outraged those listening to Jesus that day more than that was his response, son, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law, the leaders, the Pharisees, they knew that only God could forgive sins. Jesus knew that more than this man needed to stand and to walk, he needed his sins forgiven. He tore up everything they thought they knew in order that he could receive exactly what he needed. In doing so, Jesus makes a claim to have the authority of God and says, well, what is easier to say? Pick up your mat and walk or your sins are forgiven. Interesting point, actually, isn't it? Because I could stand at the front here this morning, very vicarly and priestly, and pronounce everybody's sins as forgiven. And we'd all go, cool. Thanks. Would, would we know? If there was someone in the front row unable to stand, and I said, get up and walk, then, then we'd know, wouldn't we? 
So actually, the response to Jesus' question, which is easier to say, actually, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because that's between you and God. To say, stand up, take your mat and walk, is evidence to everybody in the room. But that is what Jesus did. The man got up, took his mat, and went home proving that not only did Jesus have the authority to do what is easy to say, to forgive sins, but he has authority to heal as well. So what act of iconoclasm is required for your friends to meet Jesus? What will it take for those who aren't here this morning to come as they are and meet Jesus? What will it take for the young people to come from our secondary schools and our universities? What will it take for the poor to come? For those from minority backgrounds or those who don't have English as a a first language? What would it take for the less well-educated to come. Probably for the vicar not to use iconoclasm as his big idea, but at least we're teaching into it. What would it take for the neurodiverse and for those with specific or physical needs to come as they are? Well, I think it's unlikely to involve clawing through crowds yet. And it's unlikely to need tearing through roofs. But as I come to a close, I'd like to give you three areas where we might need to assertively reject our established values and practices. First of all, the change might need be with them. Like all of us, they might need to lay down their idols and icons, the ones that society encourages us all to do, the ones that we all need to lay down regularly. Money, relationships, and power being the classic three. But also, I think we need to lay aside our constructed identities, our self-image, and our desire to be independent, to name but a few. But less about them, more about us. What do we need to lay aside? What about a change to us as a church? We, the people, are St. Paul's the church. What needs to be changed about the way we expect to meet together on a Sunday morning? What we expect our focus to be? Why do we come to church on a Sunday morning? I don't know what your answer is. I can't answer for you. But I long 
all of our answers to include and to primarily be to meet with Jesus and to share him with other people. But I think it's so easy for those desires to be confused and mingled with other things. I know it is for me, and I imagine it is for you too. What about the way we do things? What if the vicar did stop halfway through his sermon and asked us to talk to the people next to us? I know it would scare some, some visitors off, and it would make some feel very welcome. But it's just different, isn't it? And can we do things differently? Can we come before the Lord and hold lightly the way we've done things for years and years and years? And what about our building? What if we want our children to carry on meeting with us here? Are we willing to make a change to this beautiful old building in order to fit the young people of today, the whole church, into worship together? What if we flipped the room around and suddenly you were looking at blank windows instead of stained glass windows? What if the vicar stuck a massive screen in front of a back wall? <laughs> Let's not get distracted. And finally, people might need to change before they come to meet Jesus. We might need to change who we are as a church. But we all might also might have to change who we are as people individuals. We might have to think about the way we like to be seen and thought of by other people. We might have to think about the way we like things to be. I heard this passage preached about only recently, shortly, and the person said, wouldn't it be great if everybody could come and it didn't cost us anything? And I just sat there thinking, I hadn't done the research at that point. I hadn't realized it was Jesus' house. But I thought, it did cost somebody something. Tell the person whose house that was that it didn't cost them something. I think that's the challenge to us as a church, is that doing everything we need to do to allow our friends and those whom we've not yet met, those that we don't know, to meet Jesus might require us to give things up. They might require us to pay the cost. As Jesus paid the cost that day, if indeed that was his house. What act of iconoclasm, what act of assertively rejecting our established values and practices is required for our friends to meet Jesus? Because meeting Jesus 
changes lives. Amen.